Well, before you start recording the sermon, Brian, I, I would love to have just a chance to uh, give you an update. Um, an update on our church. Sorry, Mariana has pranked me up here. Um, I want to give you an update on our church. Before I do that, I'd love to uh, just uh, introduce my family that's able. All right, if you have your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, you can take them to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 30. I want to go ahead and give you permission. It's okay for you to talk back to me while I'm preaching. It means if I say something that's good, it's okay for you to say amen. Let's practice that. Amen. amen. Or if you want to go ahead and go south, go yep, yeah, yes. I don't care what it is, but if there comes points in time when you hear God's Spirit speaking to your life, it's okay to wave your hand at me. It's okay to, to, to shout out to me. I, I got preaching me in this morning, so it's okay to let me know you're alive out there. Um, I will go ahead and tell you that according to your expectation, you will receive. If you are here with your mouth wide open, I promise you God will fill it this morning. Not because I'm a great preacher, it's because he's a great God. Um, so this morning I have great expectations. I feel like I've come not to impress you with a sermon, not to wow you with my content. I feel like I've got a message for a few people. A word from heaven, something specifically designed for someone. At the end of the service, there are going to be a few people that are going to get up out of your seat and you're going to walk forward. And I believe the great exchange is going to take place in your life. I believe that God's going to lift something off of you and he's going to put something inside of you. There's going to be a, a gift of grace that's going to come your way for this season in your life. There's been somebody in this house that you're, you're fragile you're wounded, you're fatigued, you're worried, you're frustrated. And today, I believe that God sent me today to allow there to be a release from what you're carrying. And I think you're going to lift up your hands. And I think God's going to visit you in a supernatural way. I have faith for you if you don't have faith for yourself. So this morning, without any further ado, 2 Samuel chapter 15. Um, it's very important for me to always connect people with what's, what's being taught so I need about, I made about three minutes, four minutes to tie together um, probably one of the most famous men in the Bible outside of Jesus. His name is David. How many of you have ever heard of David, right? Let me see a hand, all right? I'm going ahead and getting some participation. If you don't even, if you don't even go to church, you've heard of David because David is um, symbolic with the underdog. David is, a, is symbolic of a team that's facing an incredible team that doesn't have a chance, but yet David proved to have victory in the name of his God on the day he defeated Goliath. If you'll give me just a few minutes, I'm going to give you a quick snapshot of David's life, bring you up to when this scripture we're going to read today is in context. David was a boy that was a servant of his father on the backside of the desert one day, on the backside of the pasture, a man of God came to visit David's father's house. And David came out when the prophet called for him, and the prophet anointed his head with oil and spoke over him prophetically and said, you're going to be the next king of Israel. They had a sitting king at the time. But David received the confirmation that God's hand was on his life. After this incredible encounter, he went right back to the pasture and lived for a while. He was faithful where he was at. And it wasn't long before this boy, who was also a worshiper, where he was invited into the palace, into Saul's palace, because Saul had a problem. He was tormented by evil spirits. And the word got out that David was an anointed worshiper of God. And David comes into the palace and begins to worship God and all the evil spirits flee from Saul. So David sort of hung out around the palace and made, began to make connections. And it wasn't long before the enemy of Israel, the Philistines, sent out a mighty man, a warrior named Goliath, to oppose God's nation. And David one day walked on the battlefield with nothing but a couple of stones and a sling. And he walked out in the might and the power of his God and faith that God is able to deliver anyone who trusts in him. And David killed Goliath that day. And that was the day that David became famous. But it was the beginning of exposing his gifts because then he went on to be a mighty military leader. He began to push back the enemy. He began to have great victories. And it wasn't long before the king became jealous of him. And Saul was threatened by David's anointing, his position, 
the accolades that was coming his way from the people. And so Saul decided it was time to kill David. And he attempted to kill David a couple of times before David left. He fled into the wilderness. He lost his mind. The Bible says he fiend himself mad in Gath, the former home of Goliath. He, he wandered in the wilderness. He ended up in a cave where he wrote many of the Psalms that you and I read that received comfort. And it was there that all of a sudden God began to bring the most important people in his life. People who were broken. People who were bankrupt. People who were, well, they were just outlaws. And over about a 10-year period, David, without even him knowing it, God was dividing, developing leaders around him. Warriors, friends, and men that would spend the rest of their life serving David. And then that came time for promotion, where God promoted David from the cave and the wilderness to the palace. And, David, and God established David as the greatest king Israel's ever seen. The Bible says that in that period of time when David ruled and reigned for 40 years, that they pushed back the enemy further than they had ever been pushed back, established the largest nation Israel ever been, and in that season was incredible prosperity for the nation of Israel. And David prospered because he was God's king that God called. Now, when we look at David, we see nothing but these snapshots of greatness, trust, worship. But David had some really low points in his life too. There was a time when he had been established a king when he was filled with lust for a woman that was not his wife. And he went and he took her. He slept with her. And then to cover up his sin, he had her husband killed. And God thought, David thought he had gotten away with it for a little while until a prophet came in about a year later and said, God saw that. And God has chosen to um, let you know that there are consequences to your sin and in that season, David's son that was birthed from Bathsheba died. David begged, he pleaded for God to have mercy for him, for the son. But the first son, David's son, through Bathsheba died because of David's sin. And David's family, it was, well, it was a mess. We, we love soap operas. We love drama. We love watching it on TV. You cannot not read the Bible and not be entertained by the crazy people in the Bible. David had all kind of crazy things happen in his family. He had, a, he had a son that raped one of his daughters. And then David didn't do anything to punish that son, and he didn't cover the daughter like he should have. And, well, one of his sons, Absalom, got really angry, and he went and killed the, the son who had raped the daughter, Amnon, and killed him. And then David should have punished Absalom, but he didn't. He just sort of let him go into exile. And then after a couple of years, one of David's best friends brought Absalom back into Jerusalem and sort of tricked David. And, well, David let him come back to Jerusalem, but he wouldn't have anything to do with him. He sort of shunned him. He mocked him. He, he wouldn't develop a relationship with him. And this is where we're going to pick up the story today. Because Absalom has returned to Jerusalem he is in the city walls, but he hasn't been accepted by his father. He's not been endorsed by his father. He's been, become bitter toward his father. And this seed of bitterness has worked its way into his thought processes to the point he has made a decision to throw, overthrow David on the throne. He has, he has moved among the people and he has manipulated them. He has conned them. He has turned their hearts away from David. And now Absalom has got, had a gathering outside of the city of David, and now he has declared himself as king. And now Absalom is marching back to what we know as Jerusalem, but at that time was called the city of David. He is marching back with an army to dethrone his father. And David gets word that Absalom's revolt is happening. David had no clue. He was blindsided. So if you can imagine David now, after years of being on the throne, a son that he loves is now coming with an army to kill him, to destroy him. And David has to make a decision. Do I fight my son? And do I have a civil war where not just a hundred or not just a thousand, but tens of thousands of people that he loves will die in choosing sides? some for David, some from Absalom. So you know what David does? David says, well, let him have the throne. 
And the people take the Ark of the Covenant, which was symbolic of the presence of God, and they walk it down from, from what we would know as the hills of Jerusalem. They go down toward the Kidron Valley, and they stop in the Kidron Valley with the Ark of the Covenant as David and his wives and his servants and his friends begin to file down from the, western, from, from the eastern side of Jerusalem into the Kidron Valley, and they are about to walk up the Mount of Olives into 25 miles of desolate wilderness toward Jericho. They're leaving a, a city of prosperity, a city of protection, and now they're at the, the base of the Kidron Valley looking up to the Mount of Olives with the Ark of the Covenant, and every person passes by, and they're all about to walk up the Mount of Olives, and David turns to the people, the priests that have the, the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders, and he says, I do not want to bring the Ark of the Covenant with me. That's not from me. That's for God's nation. And the men with the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders, they began to walk back up the, the eastern side of Jerusalem, back to the, to the temple, back to the synagogue, the, 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 the camp of tents where the Ark of the Covenant with. And then David begins a trek up the mountain to the next season of his life, a season he doesn't know where it's going to lead. And I want to talk to you today about walking up that mountain what it must have been like for David to walk up the Mount of Olives knowing he's walking away from his throne and that his son hates him enough to take the throne from him. Two or three scriptures is all I've got for you and then I'll just release the word that God's given me. Sorry for the long introduction, but you really needed to know the context to be able to understand the text. 2 Samuel chapter 15 verse 30. And David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives, the Olivet. Picture this now. And David wept as he went up the mountain. He had his head covered, and he went up barefooted. And all the people that were with him covered every man his head, and they went up as a congregation, weeping as they went. Now, this is very important for you to understand that David took his sandals off. He went up barefooted, and that was a sign of shame. He went up weeping, which is a, a sign of mourning, and it's this, this repentance, but it's also just a heaviness because of what's happening. And it's not just him, it's the whole gathering of people that are leaving. And it says in verse 31, and one person told David, saying, Aphethel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O oh Lord, I pray to you that you would turn the counsel of Aphethel into foolishness. In verse 32, And it came to pass that when David was come to the top of the mountain where he worshiped God. If you would, I want to pray a very brief prayer. And I want to ask God to speak to someone specifically today. So if you have your Bibles in front of you, would you lay your hands on them and allow me to pray? Father, I ask that the Holy Spirit now would come and minister to people in this house, to the one that you appointed to be here on this day, to hear this word that you wanted to release into their life to change their destiny. I pray that we would be prepared to receive it. In Christ's name we pray. And the house said, amen. amen. The first thing that stood out to me about the mountain that David was walking up, it was a mountain of failure for him. Let's, let me just remind you of a few things that could have been a failure for him. He, at this moment, he was a failure as a father. Why? Because his son hated him enough to kill him. His son that he had attempted to restore now has turned the nation of Israel against him. And as David is walking up this mountain with the reality that his own flesh and blood hates him, the enemy, I'm sure, was hitting a replay button of all of his past failures. Does anybody know about that enemy? I do. That enemy knows and has access to all of the things that are sort of pushed back and that we cover up. It goes all the way back for David in the fact that his first, his son with Bathsheba died as a consequence of killing Uriah. Some of us know what it's like to have realized that there was a child that suffered because of our mistakes, the consequences of our choices, 
And David must have been replaying the fact that another son in his own home raped a daughter. And when that daughter was covered with shame and quote-unquote disgrace because she had been violated, and instead of bringing her out and publicly endorsing her and loving her and teaching the, ch teaching the church and the people. It's not what mistakes have done to you. It's about our God who loves us. And instead of, instead of restoring her publicly, I believe David was shamed by her and he pushed her to the back of the back of the back of a house and said, don't you come out because you can't live among us. He's walking up. He has to be thinking about the relationship that was broken between he and Tamar because of the shame that was rested upon her. And then what does he do with Absalom? I don't know whether you've ever made mistakes in your family. I don't know if you've ever worked too long and it ignored what was really going on in your home. I don't know if there's ever been fits of anger that have come out and you've ever hit someone or You've ever spoken death over a child? I don't know what kind of mistakes you've made, but I've made mistakes as a father. And at this point, David's walking up a mountain, and I think he's mindful of the fact that this wasn't about the failure of Israel. This was his failure. This was on him. But not only was there a failure as a father, there was failure as a king, there was failure as a leader. David was blindsided by this. David didn't see this coming. He had lost touch with the people. How else could Absalom turn the hearts of people that had been with him for decades, that knew who he was, that knew he was a warrior, knew that he was a kind king, knew that he had a heart for God, watched him worship? How else could David have lost the heart of the people except for, I don't know, whether in pride or in arrogance? Somehow or another, he became disconnected from them. He, he lost sight of them. He, he separated himself from them. And David was blindsided as a leader. The people were turned away from him, and he didn't even know that their heart had been turning. There was division between his leaders. Some leaders went with him, and some stayed behind with Absalom. There's civil war going on in the nation, and people are taking sides. And this morning, I've not come to focus on the mistakes of David. Because the truth is, we've all made mistakes. Can, can we go ahead and get real in this place? Can we just go ahead and say that we've done that too? Our mistakes may not have been, have been as dysfunctional as David's within his family or as obvious in him as a role, but you and I have made tons of mistakes. We wouldn't want our mistakes thrown up on the screen or recorded for eternity in God's Word, but the truth is, all of us have fallen. Every one of us, the, per the person to your right, the person to the left, some of us have covered it up better than others. But I've not come today to focus on the mistakes of David, and I've not come to focus on your mistakes. But the message that God's given me today is I've come to proclaim that there is grace for our failures. That there's forgiveness for your sins. That even though you, may have, you have made a conscious decision to walk away from God and not to do life God's way, God has an amazing GPS system that today you can stop where you're at and you can lift up your hand and you can say, God, I'm really sorry for the mistakes I have made. I want you to turn my life around. I want you to restore that which has been lost. And the Bible teaches me that my God is a God of grace. And the moment that you can stand up and lift your hands and say, God, forgive me, turn me. There is a grace that I cannot wrap my mind around. A grace for you the same way there's a grace for me. God wants to restore for someone today the thing that was lost because of the mistakes you've made. The Bible is filled with this message. Do you remember a man named Moses? A man who, well, God had a plan for his life and to prepare him for his calling. He didn't even know it, but God had him in a wilderness for 40 years. He was in exile from Pharaoh's house, but the truth was God was preparing him for what God had designed him to be, which is a deliverer for the nation of Israel. 
And after 40 years of preparation, God called Moses to set the children of Israel free from the bondage of Egypt. And so at that moment, Moses said, okay, God, I, I don't think I can do it, but I'll do it. And from that moment, God began to endorse Moses publicly. There was power. There was anointing. There were, there were demonstration that God was, was with Moses. There were the 10 plagues of Israel. There were, I mean, on Egypt, there was the parting of the Red Sea. As they went into the wilderness, walking toward the promised land, Moses stood with his staff and by faith, he, he tapped on a rock and water came out of the rock and, well, it miraculously watered the people and this rock traveled with them wherever they went. There was always sufficiency. And Moses endured 40 years of leading the children of Israel. And it was just about the time for the children of Israel to go into the promised land. And there came this day when God said, you need water from that rock again. But this time, I don't want you to hit it with your staff. I want you to speak to the rock. And when you speak to the rock, when you just speak to it, and all this was symbolic of Christ and the fact that once he was stricken and the second time, we no longer have to strike him, but now we just speak to him. Beautiful analogy. But God says to Moses, this time don't strike the rock, speak to the rock, and when you speak to the rock, water's gonna flow out again. And instead, whether it was pride, whether it was arrogance, whether it was misunderstanding, I don't know what happened. Moses struck the rock twice with a staff. And God became very angry with him. And he said to him, watch this now. He said, Moses, because of your disobedience, you don't get to carry the children of Israel into the promised land. That's a pretty steep consequence, wouldn't you say? 80 years. He has been preparing for this moment to cross the Jordan River and to carry the children into the land flowing milk of honey. He's finally done. It's ready for him to reap the reward of being with them. And God says, because you did this, there's going to be consequences. As a matter of fact, Moses, I want you to walk up that mountain and I want you to sit on that mountain and I want you to watch that I am faithful to my people as Joshua is going to lead them in. That was an incredible failure. Your failure may have been mon monumental like his. I don't know the degree of your failure. But I've come here today to not to just magnify the mistake of Moses. I want to fast forward. I want to fast forward to the day that Jesus walked the face of the earth with his disciples. And one day Jesus said to Simon Peter and James and John, I want you to walk up this mountain with me. That same mountain. And when Jesus got to the top with his three disciples, the Father, God the Father opened the heaven and he spoke over Jesus the Son. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the glory of God fell upon Jesus and Simon Peter and James and John are just looking up at Jesus being transfigured in all of God's glory. And they're going, my God, he is the Son of God. Look at his beauty, look at his majesty. And it wasn't just Jesus there that day. There was Elijah, but also on that mountain because my God is a God of grace transfigured with Christ himself. There was Moses. You know what that speaks to me? That speaks to me that even a man like Moses that can make a mistake, that there is still a glory that rests upon us, not because of the greatness of glory, but because of the greatness of our God. Our God is a God of grace. Our God is a God of mercy. And here's the truth. Some of you today, you don't deserve mercy. Neither did I. But that doesn't change who our God is. Today, we've not come to worship our mistakes and to honor our mistakes. Our mistakes magnify the depth of God's love. Paul said in Ephesians chapter three, I wish that you could come to understand the height, the weapon, with the depth and the, the length of God's love for you. Because if you could ever understand how much God loves you, no matter what you've done, and you can receive that love and walk in that, you know what that's gonna do? That's gonna give you the ability to worship God no matter where you're at and what's going on. Some of you today are very down, discouraged, because it looks like God has forsaken you. It looks like in this season there's lack. It looks like there's betrayal, there's abandonment, there's disappointment, there's frustration. And it just looks like, well, it looks like God's not faithful to you. And I've come to tell you that God hadn't forgotten you. 
God knows right where you're at. And that this same God of David and God of Moses, well, he's your God. See, I'm familiar with this. It's very easy for me to preach about grace because I'm one of the leading recipients of it. When I married my wife 28 years ago, I did one of the stupidest things a man could ever do. I forgot who God was. And I walked away from the church. I walked away from my faith. The Bible says if a man does this, it'll be like a dog returning to his vomit. And I ran so far into the love of this world and the lust of this world. And I was unfaithful to my God and it had ramifications in my life that wounded my wife. And for two and a half years, I walked away from the Lord. But you know what? The Lord never quit loving me. I can't understand that. I can't understand a God that would look down on someone who looks like they're just rejecting him, his authority. I can't comprehend a God who would continue to love. It's just so hard for me to wrap my mind around it. But two and a half years later, I was in a church in Cartersville, Georgia, and that pastor that I'd never heard, that I I didn't know, he preached Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. And this kid, this lost kid, ran from the balcony down to the foyer and threw himself on the mercy seat of God. You know, an amazing thing happened for me that day. On my mountain of failure, God forgave me. God restored me. And today, I have in my pocket the keys to a church. Get out of here. I still have keys to your church. They never asked for them back, and I never offered them up. I thought I might need them one day. I'll be riding down the interstate, and I'll tell my wife, I said, let's not stop and buy a Coke. I know where there's a fountain Coke over at Christ Chapel. I even know where they had the key to turn it on. I said all that to say this. Somebody walked in today and you just feel like you've been forgotten and the mountains become very hard because right in your face is your failures. And I know the enemy. He can take something this small and make it bigger because he mixes it in with all of your past. And it's just as fresh as you, as you did years ago. Last point, and it's going to be a very brief point, it was a mountain of fear. It was a mountain of fear. And I'll tell you why I believe this. If you'll give me just a little bit of liberty with David in this moment, because outwardly, it looked like he had no fear. It looked like that there was nothing to be afraid of for him because he knew who God was in the pasture. He knew who he was in the cave. He knew who he was on the, on the throne. And I think David had the utmost confidence that God would be the God in the wilderness. But it was different this time because David wasn't just alone. He had wives with him. He had children with him. He had men that he was responsible with. I think that in this season, David was, well, I think David was fearful. On the outside, it may have looked like he had the utmost confidence. But on the inside, I believe he was, I believe he was mindful of the fact that there was more at stake this time than just him. And some of you, I just... I just sensed it when I was praying that there are some of you right now, you're walking through a place where you're just afraid. You're carrying something that's bigger than you. The ramifications of the things that are keeping you up at night just scare you this time. And David walked up that mountain looking calm, cool, and collected on the outside, but inside I believe that there was something he was struggling with, a fear of the unknown. One of the things that we really struggle with as Christ followers is really trusting him with the next chapter of our life when we can't control all of the the factors, all of the circumstances. And I've just come to speak to somebody this morning that you're in what I call the 2 a.m. fear. It's when you wake up in the middle of the night and your mind starts racing and you just feel like you've lost your peace. There may even be somebody who's been battling panic attacks and you've had them a long time ago, but you've been a good season and all of a sudden now it's just like, it's just like your body's reacting to the fact that there's not a confidence in your heart that everything's going to be okay. And David's walking up this mountain not knowing what the next season's like. And there's somebody here today, you got a report. 
You got a report of a, a disease, a symptom. You don't know if you're going to live long enough to take care of your family. You, you're afraid of the thought that it might come back cancer. There are, there's rumors that they're cutting back at work and you may lose your job. And Warner Robins right now, there's sort of this, there's sort of this, in, this heaviness over our city because we really don't know what's going to happen with the sequestration and all of the cutbacks. 15,000 people in my city are about to lose 15% of their salary and it's going to trickle down and there are going to be businesses that close and there's this uncertainty. I, I feel it as a pastor planning for our future, wondering if it's going to impact our finances. I, I, I sense it in people as they, as they don't know if they're going to have enough money to pay their bills this month. People that have been on cruise control and there's something about this sense of losing control and the truth is David had been in control for a long time. There had been peace in the land there had been enough money in the coffers. And now literally he's walking into the wilderness with nothing but the clothes on his back. They didn't have time enough to pack up loads of food. David is one more time walking into a transition in his life where he's going to have to trust God, not just with himself, but with other people. And I just felt like God came to me today and uh, that came to me this week preparing and wanted me to speak to somebody that, well, you're just... You're in a place that's filled with fear. You're fearful for your marriage. Fearful for your kids. I don't know what you're walking through, but God wanted me to come and tell you that um, he's still in control. He's not only the God of grace, but God's got this season too. About five years ago, we had started the church. We'd been there about a year, and I got to meet a lot of people and some people I knew, some people I didn't, and started making a lot of friendships, and some people that I knew became really good friends. And I had this phone call one morning. It actually was one afternoon, and I made a, a breakfast appointment with a guy in our church. His name is Rocky. Some of you may know Rocky. Rocky is, um, he's a one-of-a-kind, unique individual. He said, Pastor, I feel like I'm supposed to take you to to breakfast. He said, let's go to Waffle House. I'm like, Rocky, I already know you can hear the mind of God. I love Waffle House. I know my doctor hates the fact that I love Waffle House. But I showed up one morning with Rocky at Waffle House. We sat down and we did small talk and we were eating. We got through with our plates. We sort of pushed them to the middle and the waitress came and took them. And he says, Pastor, can I go ahead and tell you why I came, why I wanted to take you here today? He said, I know you're back in the saddle again because he knew that my last time of leading a church ended in failure. We had shut the doors on a church I'd pastored before, not just resigned. We shut the doors. It screamed to me, you can't do this. So now I'm back in the saddle, and the truth is there's fear for me. There's uncertainty for me. And he's sitting across this booth for me, and he said, as I've prayed for you, Pastor, the Lord wanted me to bring a word for you, and I think it's not just for day. It's something that's supposed to stick with you for the rest of your life. And man, he's got my attention. I'm leaning into him. I'm like, Rocky... I'm ready. And he took out his Bible and he opened it to Philippians chapter four. And he said, this is the verse that God's given me for you. And he began to read a verse that I'd memorized years before, but it went something like this. The Lord says to you, pastor, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let every request that you have let it be known to God. And our God is a God who hears and God will answer, but not only will he answer, he will give you peace that passes all understanding. And as he is speaking, the spirit of God is opening up my heart and I'm just receiving it. And he says, pastor, I have studied this verse and I've prayed over, over it for you for a long time. And I've done an in-depth study over it in the Greek. I would add, just like Felicia Daniels. And he said, and I want to I I ask you a question. He said, in the Greek, do you know what the word nothing means? And I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, I've never done a study in the Greek of be anxious for nothing, but with all things, prayer and supplication, let your request. I said, no, Rocky, I don't know what it means in the Greek. He says, pastor, he leans in, he says, in the Greek, the word nothing means nothing. I backed up, and I'm not as impressed with Rocky as I was before. 
But then he said, Pastor, it means that you're not just be anxious about your family, about your provision, about your future. And most of all, I don't think you're supposed to be anxious about this church. And he said, I've come to tell you that our God is a God of peace. And God has a plan. And he's going to work his plan and he's going to bring it to pass. And somewhere you need to let go and you need to be reminded who God is. And the whole time he's speaking, I'm receiving it like God has sent him from heaven. And then he, 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 he reached under the bench and he pulled out, well, he pulled out this piece of paper that he had framed for me. And this piece of paper, and I think they've got it for the screen, this is what this piece of paper says. Andy, what part of nothing do you not understand? God. And this morning, when I was walking and praying about this message, I felt like there was somebody that was going to be set free this morning. And we were almost late here today because I felt like God told me to go to my church and get this from the table that sits beside my desk because every day I look at this. Because I'm a worrier. I hate to admit it, I'm a worrier. I, I worry about our finances. I worry about our future. I, I, I worry about my babies. I just, uh, I struggle to let God be God in my life. And I look at this because God sent him to me to remind me as a pastor, I am not Jesus. And I am not the Holy Spirit. And I am not God. And I'm really glad. And God sent me today to tell somebody that you can just sort of let go of the stuff you're carrying. Your failures and your fears. And God wants to lift that stuff off of you today. And there's a reason that you're being dethroned. Because God needs to be put back on the throne. If my musician can come and Leanne, I, I got a song that I asked them to prepare this week. When I was praying over this message, God told me to call Leanne and say, Leanne, I, I know that I'm supposed to close with worship with this song. And you know what? She sent me back a text. She says, Andy, you're not going to believe this, but this song was already on the playlist. And this song's going to minister to someone today. And this is how I feel like we're supposed to close the service today. All around the church, I've got... I've, we've set up communion. And this morning, I want you to, I want to invite you to come and receive communion as a remembrance that Christ, well, he died for you. He bought you. You're his because of what he's done for you. One of the things that I've thought about with Jackie being here today. God has given her to us and our family. And one of the things I'm going to be teaching her, and we've already been teaching her, is that everything I have is hers. She can walk in the refrigerator and she looks like my other kids. She don't come and ask, Do I, can I have this? If I've got it, she's got it. One of the hardest things for us to own is the thought that um, what's his is mine, but it's true. Can I tell you why? Because you're his. You're his son. You're his daughter. You're his. You're his in this season that you're walking through. You're here, his in these trials. And I pray today that if you will receive in remembrance of what he's done for you, I pray today that you would receive the grace of exchange. That when you lift up the elements in your own way and you say, Father, today I receive your grace for me through your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that God's just going to lift this stuff off of you. And he's going to fill you again with love and with power and provision the grace for the season in your life. Hey, guys that are serving, you don't have to serve today. If you'll just lift the tops off of them when we get ready, 
I'm going to allow everybody just to serve themselves. Um, and you can come to the altar and you can worship. You can go back to your seats. You can kneel. I'm not going to tell you the right way for you to worship, but we're going to begin to sing this song. I invite you to worship with us this song. And I'm going to believe that the heavenly exchange is going to take place today. And that you one more time will walk in the freedom that Christ prayed for you. Let me pray over you. And then we're going to open up communion for those of you that like to to partake. Let me pray. Father, I believe you called a few people here today. And you scheduled me six months ago for me to be here today for them. Because you knew what they were going to be walking through. And I ask you today, no matter what's going on in their life, as they lift up their hands and they climb their mountain and they worship you, just like David did, I pray that you will free them today and that there will be an anointing that will fall on their life. In Christ's name I pray, amen. And oh yeah, by the way, David walked all the way up that mountain. And do you know what he did when he got to the top? He worshiped where he was. He was broke. He was rejected. He was confused. He was in need of God. He did not have it together anymore. He was fragile. And he knew the wilderness was in front of him. He knew that civil war was behind him. And he didn't wait for everything to be right. He worshiped on top of the mountain. And that's what I want to invite you to do. I want you to worship God where you are, saying to God, here I am, God. I'm going to walk up my mountain, believe that you're the God in the valley, on the way up, at the top, and on the way down. And I pray that God will just fill you today. Anytime you would like to, you're welcome to come and receive communion. Leanne, would you just minister this morning the song? I lean out on my own understanding My life is in of the make of hands I lean out of my own understanding My life is in the hands of the make of hands I lean out of my own understanding My life is in of the maker of hands I lean out of my own understanding My life is in the hands of the maker of hands I give it all to you God Trusting that you made something beautiful out of me and I give it all to you God trusting that you made something beautiful out of me and I lean out on my own understanding my life is in I lean out of my own understanding My life is in the hands of the maker And I give it all to God Trusting that you make something beautiful out of me I give it all to God Trusting that you make something beautiful
And I will climb this mountain with my hands wide open. I will climb this mountain with my hands wide open. I will climb this mountain with my hands wide open. I will climb this mountain with my hands wide open. I will climb this mountain with my hands wide open. I will Guys, to close out our service, I'm going to ask you, we're going to sing through this corporately. Um, but I, I'm, I'm one of the guys who preaches for us to grow up in Christ. I, I feel like God's called me to challenge people to move forward, move up, to mature. God wants us to bear fruit. But as I was worshiping this morning, I looked over at my son-in-law. And uh, he's got Gunner in his arms, my grandson. Do you know that Gunner doesn't have a care in the world right now? He don't care about us going to gray to see my mom and dad. He's not worried about what he's going to wear tomorrow. He's not worried about where his next meal is going to come from. And as much as we challenge the church to grow up into the fullness of our potential in Christ, one of the things that's core for us is to never lose the childlike simplicity that he is God and that we are not. And that we are His. And all of our faith is based on this reality. It is based on our trust in Him. Our trust in His faithfulness. Our trust in His grace. Our trust in His provision. And the older I get, the more I am learning to trust Him. I pray you'll rediscover that childlikeness. And you'll just lift up your hands and lift up your arms. And you'll just walk wherever God's calling you to walk. And you won't lean on your understanding, but you'll lean on the fact that he knows what he's doing. So could I invite you just one more time? Could you stand? 
and I'm going to let these guys just sing through this, and I'm going to ask God to do his final thing in the process of us corporately as we sing through this one more time corporately. Could you sing loud enough for your neighbor to hear you as a declaration of faith? There you go. I can hear you now. I lean not on my own understanding My life is in the hands of the maker of heaven And I give it all to you, God Trusting that you made something beautiful out of me I give it all to you, God I give it all. We give it all to God. In the Greek, all means all. We give it all to Him. Yes. I give it all to you, God. Trust yes. that yes. out of me. And I will climb this mountain. Could you just lift up those hands? It's about surrender. It's about trust. This mountain before me, God. I will climb this mountain. <laughs> yes. Yes. Could you turn to somebody right around you and one more time with conviction say, you're going to make it. You might even want to hug them if you know them. If you don't know them, you might just want to put your hand out there. But if you'll just tell them with all confidence, you're going to make them. I pray that the Lord blesses your week and I pray that he smiles upon you and shows you his favor and receive this word today as from him. God bless you guys. I hope you have a great Sunday afternoon.